Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. Today we're very lucky to be joined by Kezia Wright, who is the Head of Climate and Environmental Initiatives at Intertrust. She was before that a venture capitalist in San Francisco, and before that was in Trinity College Dublin, which I think Kez will uh, pick up your story there. So what did you do in Trinity? Uh, so hello, thanks so much for having me uh, on the podcast, Mark. Um, pleasure. A bit nervous. It's my first podcast. Um, <laughs> so at Trinity, I studied history and political science. History um, and political science. What history did and you, political science. When you decided to go into that, what were you thinking? Like, what were the what were the reasons for going into that? Um, so I've always been really interested in politics and uh, current affairs and um, history was actually like my best subject in secondary school and I just thought that history and politics um, sounded like a really interesting course. Um, you know, I was quite interested when I left school in anthropology and psychology um, and sociology and I felt like politics kind of drew together all those different strands. Um, and then, yeah, history is just, it's, it's very complementary to political science and I thought it just sounded like a nice course, so I didn't really think too much about it. Did you think Did about it? what you would do afterwards? Absolutely not. That's interesting. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I just, I, I, just, I just felt like the two of those were complementary and really fascinating and didn't really think it would lead to anything necessarily, I just kind of followed my interests. Uh, that's the exact opposite way a lot of people think about college course. A lot of people have like a clear interest going into college, but they'll ignore it and they'll do something totally different because they think that something different might have better career prospects or more money attached or whatever. But you went in the way that I advise people to go, which is do something you're actually going to be interested in. You'll get better grades and you'll get better jobs off the back of that anyway. It was that kind of the, more the, the, the spirit of it as you entered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I had a guidance counselor um, when I was in secondary school and he said to me, he said, do whatever you're interested in. And I kind of took that advice. And, you know, also my parents were, my parents are kind of very in the attitude of do what you're passionate about, do what you're interested in rather than do what's necessarily vocational or something that will kind of get you a job straight after college. Um, and I did that and I loved my course so much. I mean, I thought the political science side was definitely my favorite. I actually dropped history in my final year. So I majored in political science. So I did straight political science basically in fourth year. Um, but I felt like the three years that I also studied history were really um, insightful. And, you know, I still bring a lot of, I still bring a lot of that and a lot of the, um, like, uh, analytical skills and the kind of uh, essay writing skills and um, just a kind of way to think about things and way to kind of contextualize things that are happening in the world. It's all very relevant to history. It's all very relevant to politics. Um, and I kind of still bring that into the work that I do today in a kind of funny sort of way. Um, and just as you said, you know, because there were subjects that I was really interested in, um, I ended up, you know, doing quite well out of uh, the subjects. and. I, you know, everyone hates writing essays and exams, but, um, you know, I was really engaged in the content. So I thought, uh, yeah, it was a good choice for me. When you study something, I study commerce, I study straight commerce. It's very kind of like, a, I don't know, bang, 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 black and white type of thing. I'd imagine if you study something like history and political science, that there might be, it might be said, and correct me if this is untrue, it might be said that 
you take more away, not from the content that you study, but from the way it teaches you to look at the world or the way it encourages you or challenges you to look at the world. Would that be true? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I do agree that, you know, basically when you're studying history or you're studying politics, you're just reading through endless mm. kind of academic papers. And especially with history, it was much more, you know, reading in old school books, something that people don't really tend to do much these days. Um, and aggregating a whole bunch of information from various different parts and then pulling it together into an essay or an idea or an answer to something. And it's that kind of pulling in various different threads and then kind of synthesizing it into a whole um, that can be applied to pretty much anything that you do. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, I think that history is something that, especially when I lived in the States, you know, I, I met very few history majors or especially, you know, where I was living in San Francisco, there were very few people I came across that studied history. And um, obviously it's a place where there's, there'd be a kind of, um, over-indexed for STEM, um, mm. kind of science and technology and engineering, etc. Um, but I think the study of history is really important. And I would, you know, I, I kind of encourage people to, um, even if they don't have to study it, but just kind of read a little bit about it, because you just kind of find history repeats itself the whole time. And if you want to unlock the clues as to what's happening today um, in the world, you know, all you have to do is read a history book, because things kind of tend to go in these cycles. Um, yeah. And it's just fascinating as well. Um, I mean, yeah, I just, I, I, I love history. I still read history books, so. I've actually gotten into it in recent years. I do, I find the characters that have shaped history to be obviously pretty interesting given the, the size of their personalities and the magnitude of their impact on, you know, civilization over time. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. How does yeah. someone go from that into venture capital? Yeah, good question. Um, so, when I specialize in, so I'll just kind of tell you a little bit about my like area of interest. So I did political science my final year and I specialized in environmental and energy policy. Um, when I was in my third year of college, I became really, really interested in the environment. Um, I started reading a lot about it. Um, it was kind of two pivotal books for me, one by Naomi Klein and another by a guy called George Monbiot, who like writes for The Guardian. He's got his own blog now. Um, and I suddenly became aware of like this thing called climate change. And it was just like, wow, this is such a big problem. And it was kind of crazy to me why we didn't really learn about it in school or why it wasn't really like on my radar up until that point. I mean, obviously you know, I'd known about environmental issues, but it just wasn't something that I'd really clocked until like my second year. Um, and then my whole third and fourth year of university, I really, I focused most of my energy on environmental and energy policy um, work. And I did my senior dissertation on um, uh, kind of attitudes towards climate change in the States. Um, and then when I was coming towards the end of college, you know, I was kind of thinking about what I would do. Um, and I knew it was something in the environmental or in the kind of sustainability climate change space. So um, I initially thought that I was going to go do a master's. Um, so I applied for, I sent out, I think maybe a couple of applications. And I was accepted to do a master's in Cambridge in environmental policy. Um, and 
something kind of happened, I guess, after I handed in my dissertation. Um, I just didn't really, uh, how do I phrase this? Um, I guess that I felt like I could gain a little bit more experience um, in going and getting a job and working for a few years rather than going back to university. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm one of these people probably quite like yourself that um, quite likes kind of to have a bit more freedom of thinking and, um, and, you know, while Cambridge would have been amazing, I kind of felt like there were a few more things that I wanted to explore and I felt like getting a job um, and going out into the big bad world first before I undertook any more study um, would be a better option. So while I did have that offer, I was also looking for jobs. Um, and I had spent my third year of university studying in California. I was lucky enough to have done an exchange program in Santa Barbara and really, really fell in love with California that year. Um, you know, it's a really, it's, a, it's an interesting part of the world where there's interesting things happening and there's a real kind of optimistic culture there. And just something about it really resonated with me and I knew that I wanted to go back. So at the end of college, I started looking for jobs in San Francisco and basically reached out to my network or anyone that I knew that was working there. Um, and initially I wanted a job in the kind of clean tech space. So in some kind of sustainable technology space. And um, one of the people that I reached out to um, who subsequently became my boss um, is a guy called Patrick. And I had met him. He's actually the cousin of one of my friends that I met very randomly on Inish Boffin Island <laughs> about two years uh, prior to that and wow. um, Patrick at the time I think was working um, with uh, Goldman Sachs or something but we'd stayed in touch during college and he had kind of offered me some informal advice while I went through college and especially in my final years and uh, Patrick at the time was living in San Francisco and he had set up this venture firm and he told me a bit about it and I thought, wow, that sounds really, really interesting. Um, I'd love to come and have a chat. And Patrick happened to be in Dublin that week. It was all very serendipitous, actually. Um, so I went to go have a chat with him and I explained my interests um, in, you know, sustainability. And while I was in my final year, I also took a few classes in technology policy and specifically as it relates to environmental tech and um, you know, energy policy is a lot about like innovation policy as well. Um, and I essentially expressed my interest in um, working in tech and getting some experience in San Francisco um, because a lot of this stems from my kind of view about the environment and environmentalism. And I felt like going to where the essentially kind of tech center of the world is that there would be some interesting opportunities there, especially as it relates to um, the environment, sustainability um, and that kind of thing. So it really all kind of stems from my interest in sustainability and the environment. And yeah. what I kind of wanted out of it was some kind of exposure to where the interesting innovations were happening 
um, in the environmental uh, space. So that's kind of where it came from. I was going to ask you there, so uh, we'll, we'll stop there and go three quick questions. One, yeah. um, or sorry, this isn't even a question, one is an observation. Great lesson mm. there for people. If you don't know what you want to do or you know you're pretty open, just reach out to your network. If you know where you want to go, etc. Someone knows someone everywhere, you know what I mean? <laughs> your network will have you connected everywhere. So yeah. very good lesson for people there. Number two, those two books, Naomi Klein and the other one, what are they called? So Naomi Klein is called This Changes Everything. Yeah. And um, George Monbiot book is called Heat. Okay. Um, they might be a little bit outdated now because they were written probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. But the central lessons still pretty much hold. Um, I, read, I read This Changes Everything probably two years ago and it was still very yeah. educational and informative. So I definitely recommend that. Um, and then question number three, you're leaving this kind of... Uh, Art, you're, you're, it's essentially an arts background in Trinity mm. with no clear direction where you want it to go. You then choose environment, which is a very purpose-driven thing. And then you go into VC and technology. So you've explained why insofar as it relates to uh, into uh, climate. How big was money a driver? So why didn't you go into, say, a, a climate charity type thing as opposed to going into climate VC and tech? Yeah, great question. Um, and it was definitely a big factor for me. Um, I, yeah, it was definitely a big factor that weighed on the decision. Um, so, Which is normal. Yeah. And like, that, that, yeah, I, I kind of encourage people yeah. that way. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I felt with when it, it was the option between that and the Masters, you know, the Masters was going to cost me, I think it was going to end up at around £30,000 for the year. And it was either, you know, take out a loan to do that or go get experience at a company, um, kind of get some experience in the world and kind of see how business works, see how things actually kind of work out there and then maybe reassess things once I had some money in pocket. Yeah, but okay. money was definitely a big driver for me. And I think um, it still is to a certain degree. Here's one of the several reasons I think that's the, that's the right mindset. I think money should be important. Here, here's a story that illustrates why. Uh, in sports doping, the dopers are <laughs> the dopers are always way ahead of the dope catchers, so the, the the regulators. The reason is because the dope the dopers are better paid. There's more money in doping than in catching doping, and therefore the smartest people go there, and therefore they're at the the, the forefront of the movement. Same thing with, say, the environment. The money attracts talent, and the smartest people in environment are likely, above average, uh, likely to be in the higher paying areas of it. And so if you're serious about tackling climate change over the long run in your life, and not over the first two years of your graduate life, uh, you're actually better off going for a high paying job in that area, because you will have all of the, the most talented people who are interested in that area, uh, averaging out here, uh, around you, you'll learn a ton more and you'll get closer to actually solving the problem. So yeah, that's one that's way for people great... to look at it. I'd encourage them to look at it that way. Yeah, um, that's a really great observation. Um, and I think I think when it comes to um, the environment or climate change is a big problem to be solved, um, which is really what has kind of motivated me and what still motivates me, um, because there are so many different kind of opportunities and solutions that people can kind of delve into but I think that you know there were a few different when I was leaving university 
you know, you can kind of go the policy route, um, which is what I probably would have done had I done that master's. Um, you could go um, into the kind of consulting route and work in kind of sustainability consulting. Um, you could, uh, you know, you could go work for an energy company. I mean, there's so different, so many different ways to do it. Um, but for me, there was just something, um, especially from what I'd been reading, there's so many avenues of opportunity for innovation and for climate innovation. And just from my understanding, you know, that there, there needed to be and still needs to be so much more innovation mm. um, when it comes to like tackling a lot of the sustainability and environmental issues that we have. Totally. Um, and social issues as well. I mean, you know, I, I, I say environmental all the time, but social and environmental, um, so. Yeah, you can be driven by ideals to join, say, a charity in that area. But if you're driven by a practical desire to actually solve the problem over a medium term, because it's not going to be a short term fix, medium to long term, uh, whatever time span, going for an area like that is going to be much more, uh, much more practically useful, I would say. Um, yeah. There was another point I wanted to make on that, but I can't remember what it was. So next is, uh, I'm keen to know what do you actually do as a VC? I have a couple of friends who are VCs, but I still, as far as I'm concerned, they just have copies for a living. What do VCs actually do all the time? Yeah, <laughs> hang out and drink coffees. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, VC was pretty interesting. I mean, it's never really the same day to day. I mean, essentially, the way I like to think about VC now, it's a very like investigative job almost, where you're kind of trying to find essentially the best company um, that will uh, make a best return for the fund that you work for, the firm that you work for. Um, and a lot of that is just turning over a lot of rocks. Um, and you do that through your network. So a lot of it is kind of networking and um, uh, meeting people, meeting founders, meeting other VCs. Um, a lot of it's through market research as well. So basically going online, seeing what the market's doing, seeing where, uh, you know, other dollars are going towards. Um, so mostly those two. And then there's other kind of ways of finding companies. So um, going to like demo days, which are, you know, an example being something like uh, the Alchemist Accelerator or Y Combinator, which is probably the most famous. Um, and those demo days, are, you know, often founders will go through these kind of startup boot camp programs where they'll um, go through, they'll maybe get some training, they'll maybe get given a bit of money. And then at the end, they'll have some uh, kind of demo day where investors are invited and they kind of pitch the startup and then hopefully they'll get some uh, funding after that. So a lot of it was kind of attending those demo days and then other kind of industry conferences and things like that. Um, so that's one part of it. So the kind of finding um, new companies, and then obviously once you get the new companies, you've got to screen companies as well. So whichever way you get deal flow, um, you'll usually have some kind of management tool in-house or software that you can use to screen companies. And a lot of it's essentially doing diligence on the companies themselves. So looking at things like who are the founders. Um, what are the founders' backgrounds, uh, looking at the technology, um, like what does the technology actually do? Do they have any interesting IP or intellectual property? Um, and then obviously like doing some market sizing, so looking at the broader market around the company and, um, you know, how much market share could that company reasonably get based on founders and the tech? 
um, and its own projections. So all of that is a kind of diligence process, I guess. Um, and a lot of that's kind of making some pretty tough decisions about which companies to push forward um, through the investment process and which ones to kind of uh, leave behind. Is it very financy? Um, I mean, I didn't have a finance background. I had done some. Uh, I had done some internships while I was in college. In I did a couple of um, like spring internships and asset, I did an asset management internship as well. Um, and I definitely found that my lack of financial skills didn't serve me that well in venture. I do think that, um, you know, especially if it's a later stage company, like if you're looking at a series A or a series B or a series C or whatever company, like basically later than a seed, you do need to have, um, you know, a, a pretty good financial head on you just to kind of understand and look at the financials. Um, it's not, it's not super necessary, but it's one component of it, definitely. Can't but seed stage companies, it's different. I think, you know, if you're investing at the seed, um, then, you know, you're really looking for that person who is going to build a, you know, billion dollar company or multi-million dollar company. Um, it's really about the people and, and also kind of about the technology, but really it's about the founders, I guess. Yeah, okay. I always wonder if you're a doctor, you're working with people your whole day is working with people at the most like emotionally heightened or vulnerable time of their lives like literally the very peak of the emotion or the, the vulnerability when you're a vc you're working with founders and you're dealing with their lifelong dreams and you're telling them yes or no and evaluating them uh, within that context what's that like it does it take an emotional toll or in, in any such way you know what i mean yeah, definitely. And especially, you know, if, you, if you've been talking to a founder for, you know, a few months and it's, you know, you're really stoked on the company um, and then, you know, you bring it to investment committee or you bring it to partners and it's not hugely interesting to them. Um, and then you obviously have that relationship and you have that uh, connection to them. It's definitely, it's definitely difficult to make those decisions. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think as an analyst, um, you, you, the decision making power isn't really with you. You're there to kind of like find the companies, diligence the companies, um, and then kind of get everything in order when the investments are to be made. No, um, okay. But that being said, you know, I think in business and even with the companies that we didn't end up investing in, like you can still maintain those relationships. Um, like today, for example, I had. Uh, I had a call with a guy who uh, a, a guy who runs a really interesting company down in San Diego, and you know we didn't invest in the company, but we still chat. Um, and yeah, you'll never know, you know, what kind of people you'll meet later down the line. So I always think yeah. that if you have a good connection with someone in business, you should always kind of try and maintain those relationships. And what, like, if you're dealing with founders all the time, they're pretty interesting folks. Some might have extreme egos, some might be extremely ambitious, some might just be really creative, sky's the limit kind of wild thinking type thing. Does that impact your own thinking or psyche at all as well? Or what's that like? Definitely, yeah. And, you know, I, I love VC for that. I mean, and more generally, just like San Francisco is a place to live and work. It was an amazing kind of hive because it's actually geographically it's quite small, San Francisco. You know, it's on this kind of like peninsula thing, uh, founded by 
ocean on like three sides. Um, but within that small space, there's just like, it's just buzzing with new ideas and with kind of entrepreneurs who've got the next big idea. And it's a really kind of from an intellectual standpoint and just a kind of uh, excitement standpoint. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think that, um, so I've kind of forgotten your question. <laughs> well, no, but, you're, you're answering it at the same yeah. time, like hanging out with founders and big dreams and all yeah. this sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 really um, it's very galvanizing. It's it's quite intense, and um, there is this real attitude of like sky's the limit or anything is possible. And um, some of that is obviously, you know, some of that can be quite naive sometimes. But I, I something about that really resonated with me, and I like that optimism. And you know, founders for the most part are um, optimists to the extent that sometimes they're almost unrealistic or company see yeah. things or a distorted version of reality but that's kind of what makes people you know go on to do really crazy cool interesting things it's like having a slightly distorted version of reality and um yeah a lot of people in san francisco i found had that and i i i found that very exciting and it was an incredibly interesting working environment do you need to stop yourself from getting caught up in it yeah yeah definitely um i mean i think i think there's a certain bubble around san francisco and the bay area um and you know especially it's 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 a very interesting place if you think about just the way that the software works um you know code that's written in the Bay Area has implications all over the world if people own smartphones or something. Um, and there's a huge amount of power that accrues to that part of the world. And it's what makes it really exciting, as I just explained, but it's also what makes it kind of, you know, it's this classic kind of bubble thing where you can't really see outside the yeah. bubble. And um, I felt like it was only really when I came home then, which was kind of end of last year, that I kind of became aware of more things that I possibly hadn't been aware of before then. Or, um, you know, the Bay Area is um, very wealthy. It's very liberal. It's not really a reflection on um, America as such. Um, so, you know, when I say I lived in America for a minute, I guess it was seven two years. You know, I was in California. It was very um, yeah, a little yeah. It's a, it's a bubble in and of itself, and I think it's uh, not hugely reflective of the whole country. Um, and yeah, the the value systems there are different, and you get caught up in that, I guess, when you live somewhere. But it's the same as you go anywhere. You know, if you're going to move to, you know, uh, you know Rome or something, you move yeah. to Amsterdam, and slowly the values just seep into you and you kind of make those choices on where you want to live and where you want to move and what's right for you and what feels right. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was an amazing place to spend some time. It's funny. It I'm a- kind of thinking of this like venture capital analogy here, right? Of moving away and what a good growing up experience that is. And when you move away, it's like acquiring stock options in a company, right? So on paper, you're growing uploads on paper, you're, you're acquiring wealth, whatever. But it's only when you move back home that you realize that growth. In my opinion, you kind of ride the wave. And then when you get back home and you get to look at your whole life in that other place compared to home and you get to do the the whole analysis, that's where the growth is realized and really seeps in. And then that's like selling your shares and turning it into cash rather than 
money on paper. It's a realization once you actually remove yourself from that, that, uh, that that's where it kind of becomes more hard, tangible, real and seeps in, in my opinion. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. Um, I think that, I think that what's great about a place like that is that there's a lot of opportunity there and there's a lot of people there working. I mean, it's a kind of double-edged sword, right? Because everyone in San Francisco pretty much works in tech. Mm. And I found that on the one hand, very stifling and quite constraining but on the other hand it's great because you're constantly meeting people who work in the industry you're constantly meeting people building things you're constantly meeting people like uh you know um like-minded people yeah like-minded people and and just within a short space of time like you kind of meet people who are on a kind of similar wavelength and um the you know, I, I'm still in contact with so many people there. And um, even just from a kind of business perspective, it's a really great place to spend some time because, you know, you, you meet a lot of people there, basically. And those connections, I think, kind of serve you well um, or will hopefully kind of serve one well throughout their career. So, um, yeah. but no, I, I, I agree with that point. It was only when you kind of extricate yourself from... Uh, a place that you can kind of look back and think, wow, I actually have grown a lot. And it was only when I came home that I really kind of realized that. So same. it's a nice analogy. Because um, you and I did the same thing, which is rare. We left as soon as we finished college rather than, say, doing a job for four years and then leaving in your late 20s. We left in the early 20s and came back. And you're probably going through what I went through where all you come back and you're like, guys, we're all together. And then everyone leaves. <laughs> and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> That's a common yeah. thing. How have you found that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everything's been kind of tainted by this coronavirus, I yeah. guess. I wouldn't say tainted, but everything's been kind of uh, affected by the quarantine and the coronavirus. So I wasn't meant to be here as long as I had been. Um, but it's been it's been wonderful, actually. I've really enjoyed coming back to Dublin. Um, a lot of my friends who are away, especially in places like London, have actually come back because of COVID. So it's kind of this funny thing now where everyone from college pretty much is back in Dublin, mm. which has been nice. But yeah, it's been it's been very grounding coming home, uh, kind of reconnecting with my family, um, reconnecting with my old friends. And, uh, you know, definitely, as you said, I think only when you came home and only when I came home did I really realize that, you know, the way I thought about things had changed or, um, you know, my values had slightly changed or I was saying things that I otherwise wouldn't. And, you know, it definitely took a lot of time of really kind of self-reflection and questioning why I thought a certain way. And was that because, you know, of the environment that I'd just been working in? And obviously coming from somewhere like San Francisco where it's very kind of, fast-paced um environment i mean it's not like new york but you know it's funny like people will say oh yeah super chill just going surfing and everything but it's like almost a swan on a lake where everyone's kind of scrambling massively underneath and it's all chill and groovy on the surface but everyone works really hard you know and there is definitely um it's very competitive and coming off that coming back to dublin um 
was definitely a challenge, but I think it was really good for me um, and totally made me appreciate my experience a lot more. The third episode I ever did with a friend from Google from San Fran said that exact phrase about San Fran, and I was the first really? time I'd ever heard it. That's very funny. Um, That's funny. So now you're home, you've kind of like you've gone through the whole process of letting it all seep in. COVID's, up, uh, as you say, kind of gotten in the way a little bit. But you've got this really cool job now. So tell us about that and tell us how you got that job. Yeah, so um, I'll just maybe like carry it back into my VC job for a minute. Like I, I, I loved VC for many reasons, but it wasn't, I didn't think I was best suited to it. Um, I was always very interested, as I mentioned at the beginning, in environmental technology. And um, uh, I, I found um, VC just wasn't really the place to express that interest, I guess. I mean, you know, if you're a VC, the, um, objective function of a venture capitalist is to make a return for their investors, not to necessarily invest in technologies that are like good for people or good for the environment yeah. or whatever. Um, and it's not that VCs are bad people, it's just like that is the, the objective of your job is to just make a return. Mm. Um, and so I kind of knew that I wanted to pivot towards something that was more environmental, that was more in the sustainability space, but I wanted to stay in tech. Um, um as you know it's just it's just a really exciting place and it's an exciting industry to work in um and you know it, it sometimes i get quite um upset that like tech almost people have this kind of they turn their nose up almost at tech i think there's been a lot of instances of especially like the big tech companies maybe a facebook or um an amazon or something you know all these things that come out about those companies that don't treat their employees well or that like yeah. you know take this data and abuse the data. And I think over time, the kind of image of tech um, in people's mindset has turned kind of negative, but actually, you know, it's a really fascinating industry to work in where there's new things coming about and there's new solutions to problems that we have. And so I, I knew that I wanted to stay in that. Um, and so I, when I come home, I was kind of thinking about what my next steps would be. Um, I was lucky enough to stay with my venture firm while I was in uh, Dublin. So I initially came home because my visa was uh, rejected from the States. Um, and so when I came back, I worked with the venture firm for a few more months. And I started this new job that I'm now in in January time. And I am absolutely loving it. Um, my so how I got into that job was similar to my venture job um, was basically through my network. Um, I had met um, Talal, who's now my boss, in San Francisco. We'd actually met uh, in my office um, just before I left San Francisco or a few months before. And he uh, is the CEO of Intertrust Technologies, which is the company that I now work at. And um, we, you know, um, got friendly and I told him about my interest in the environment and uh, how I wanted to kind of pivot into something in that space. And he asked if I wanted to come join the company as a kind of environmental um, and sustainability uh, strategy person. So I joined them in January and the company is, so it's headquartered in Sunnyvale in Silicon Valley. So I haven't uh, completely severed my ties yeah. to that part of the world. So that's where the company's based, but they've got offices um, in lots of different parts of the world. Um, and Intertrust is an interesting company. So it's a, it's a 30 year old tech company. Um, 
And as it's 30 years old, it's kind of diversified into a few different uh, product lines with applications in many different industries. Um, but in a nutshell, the company basically specializes in trusted distributed computing. Um, and what my role is at the company as kind of head of environmental and climate change initiatives is, is I bake sustainability into our value proposition and into our product lines. Um, so I'm working, yeah. That's very cool. Like that's yeah. the dream job for someone with such an interest in uh, in environmental. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really interesting job. Um, so uh, Talal, my boss, you know, he's interested in the environment, and you know, saw as I probably did when I initially came to San Francisco that the sustainability environmental space offers so much opportunity. Um, for businesses, for um, new products. And um, he was eager to get someone into the company that uh, could kind of, I guess, wear the business hat, but also had uh, interest in this space and knew about sustainability and knew about um, environmental issues. Um, so I focus my energies at the company on two main product lines. So the first one is um, Planet OS. And Planet OS is essentially a data catalog for weather and climate data. Um, and then the other product that I focus on is Intertrust Platform, which is essentially a data platform that uh, allows uh, companies to securely share data with each other. Um, and it's a it's a basically an interoperability platform for companies with large, sensitive, uh, distributed data sets. So we work very closely with. Um, the energy industry, we work with the automotive industry. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's got use cases in a range of different industries. Um, and obviously, climate change and sustainability is very relevant to a lot of the partners that we work with already. So especially, you know, if you're an energy company, um, I mean, the biggest thing that is, uh, you know, something to consider if you're an energy company and for the kind of longevity of that company is climate change. It's this big kind yeah. of um, existential thing that companies need to start thinking about. And um, I'm working with our partners in the energy space to kind of pull together um, a sustainability product and for them to use our existing data platform for sustainability purposes. So it's really, really interesting. It's a kind of matrix of um, you know strategy. I work with the biz dev team, with marketing team, with partnerships team. Um, so it's, it's it's really really interesting. And you know, despite the fact the company is like thirty years old, um, there's still a real culture of innovation in the company, and there's still a real kind of uh, attitude of just like trying new things. Um, and you know, I think the size is actually quite an interesting thing to focus on as well because there's. Uh, around 200 people working for Trust. So, you know, it's not like you're working at a mad startup where there's kind of 10 people yeah. flying around the place trying to do everything at once. Um, and it's also not like a very, very large tech company like a Google um, where you kind of can probably uh, get lost in the mix of it. Like it's a really nice size. So you can have, you know, you can have a voice and you can, um, you know, have a... Uh, yeah, have some kind of input and your voice can be heard and 
it's 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 fantastic. I, I'm really loving it. That uh, I don't know how I haven't thought of this before. I have an intro to make for you to uh, a good friend <laughs> of mine, um, which I, I don't know how I haven't thought of. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, that it's really interesting. Question on that before we move off it is. Uh, if you were to quickly give advice to some of the so many young bright young buttons out there who are in that mindset of I want to make money for myself but I also want to do well for the environment etc how do you reconcile those two different paths like what would be your advice for them yeah that's a really interesting point um, and you know I just want to make clear that my um, you know my drive to even go into VC and to move to San Francisco in the first place, it was driven by like an innate interest in the environment, but it was also driven by, as you mentioned, like uh, a desire also to like make money for myself and to kind of be successful in business. And I saw that there was a huge amount of, um, you know, there's a, there is a, a huge amount of financial opportunity to be had in the space. And I think that's becoming really, really clear for companies, um, you know, I think what COVID has shown us is that, um, you know, not enough uh, regard has been given to environmental and social factors within companies and around companies. Um, and, you know, all companies, the, the, main, the main purpose of a company is to make money, it's pro profit, and I'm not yeah. negating that at all. But um, I think what's also clear is that companies do need to have some kind of responsibility for, um, you know, the health of the environment and the, the, the external stakeholders, both within the company and people, the products and the services of the company touch. Um, and so there's a lot of really interesting opportunity within companies for this kind of new way of thinking. And I think younger people, you know, I think, people do really want to make an impact in their work. And I do think maybe this is like a millennial thing, but people do want to feel like, you know, they want to feel good about the work that they do. Um, and they want to feel good about, um, you know, the company that they work for. And I think a lot of companies are now realizing that and they're aligning their values a lot more to, um, you know, those kind of interests and those those needs as well yeah. i guess yeah for sure. so um yeah I, I think there's a lot of opportunities so if you, you know if you, if you want to do something good and you also want to make money there are so many ways to do it um to do both i think you have to kind of get creative about it and a lot of a lot of the jobs that you want aren't necessarily um the most obvious ones you know if you were to asked me if I finished college, whether I'd be working um, for Intertrust Technologies, I probably would have kind of, I don't know, I just, I wasn't expecting that at all. But, you know, the, the opportunity arose uh, for me and I took that. And I think, um, you know, if you're interested in something and you're just, you, you follow your interests and opportunities um, kind of will open up. But yeah. I, I say that, but you've also, I guess, got to work hard, you know, I think these things come totally. if you look for the opportunities. Yeah. Anything competitive requires a lot of hard work. Um, yeah. Before we let you go, I want to bring up that the first time I met you, you made me cry. You made me and my friend cry <laughs> with, uh, with your singing over in Big Style Lodge, which everyone should check out over in, uh, in Westport in, in Mayo. Um, you're one of the best singers I've ever heard. Where can people go and check out your music? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Um, so I am recording an EP right now. So there's nothing on Spotify, and hopefully before the end of the year, I will have something out. Into Put the stuff on Spotify, goddammit. Put on Raglan yeah. Road and, uh, and Fever. 
Um, no, seriously, people should definitely check out Kaiser Singh. It's, it's unbelievable. I can't wait for the EP. Um, I can't wait oh, for my signed you. copy of the EP, Kaz. Yeah, you're my, you're my number one fan, Mark. <laughs> before, I, um, before I let you go, a couple of quick fire questions. Uh, you mentioned a couple of books here, but is there any other books you would recommend young people read to, to kind of get a hold of or what they're going to do? Or just Ooh. in general, even just interesting You know, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really one for... Uh, I don't know. I'm not really one for those kind of books. That I mean, I guess like something like Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers is a pretty good one about, you know, why. So, but honestly, I, I'm a big fan of poetry. I always have. I always have a poetry book next to my bed. What's um, the best one? What do you recommend? Usually, there's the the Rattle Bag, which is a collection by Seamus Heaney, or um, the selected works of W. H. Auden. That's always been by my bed, and I'll read a poem. I've got a, I've got Rumi here with me in Spain. Rumi's poems, oh, which I love, they're incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, they're, so, they're Sufi, which is uh, some sort of interesting outlook. So okay, poetry, love that. I'm a big fan of poetry as well. Um, a trip or a place to go that you would recommend that you've done in your twenties? Ooh, uh, I'd say Mexico City. Nice. Um, yeah, I love Mexico City. It's very, um, yeah, the people are lovely. The food's amazing. It's beautiful. It's uh, an amazing art scene. It's quite bohemian. So, nice one. Okay. Yeah, Mexico City. Uh, we've got 15 seconds for two more questions. A quote to okay. live by. Um, 15 seconds. Five, uh, four. <laughs> no, I think, you know, I think... Treat everyone with kindness because you never really know what's going on behind closed doors. And something you wish you knew in college that uh, you know now? Uh, that there's no right answers, just, you know, take the opportunities if they arise. Nice one. Can you write? Thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. That was brilliant. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. The <laughs> recording file will be converted to MP4. Nice one. Recording.